Jesus, we love you. Dad, we love you. We love you. We love you. And we thank you for another day, Father, in freedom. I thank you for another day clean and sober and no longer bound by the grips of the world, but in freedom. Hari mai, hari mai, hari mai, wairua tapu. You are welcome here. You are welcome. You are welcome, Holy Spirit. And I pray today, God, that you would meet your children. Father, that orphans would no longer be orphans, but be children here today. Father, I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, as Nelly said, my name is Trent, and uh, I'm the pastor of uh, a campus in Auckland, C3 Auckland. We have three campuses there. Uh, my wife and I pastor the campus in South Auckland. Been here for about five years. Uh, started with humble beginnings uh, with about 30 people in a mechanics warehouse. We took the church over, and God's been really good to us. We just bought our own building last year. The campus has grown to about 300 people, and it's going really well, and we're about to uh, go and come into a new season, uh, which is really awesome. Uh, but I can't do it on my, by myself. It's pretty much all my wife. My wife pretty much runs everything. Uh, this is my wife here. She's really beautiful. Uh, she's like, man, she's really beautiful. Wowzers. <laughs> she's got like, she's like American Spanish green eyes. American Indian Spanish sort of uh, in her, she's, she's like, whoo, anyway, and uh, we have two beautiful little girls, uh, age 10 and 8, uh, my oldest, uh, Akela, uh, who is 10, Akela means respected in Hawaiian, uh, there she is there on the right, and that's Ella, uh, big gap teeth memory on the left there, and she is 8, and Ella means uh, most beautiful in uh, French, and they are my world. Um, they are everything to me, but today I don't come to you as a pastor and as a leader before anything. I'm a follower of Jesus, and before my title, before anything, and for the rest of my life, foremost, I will be a follower of Jesus. I love my job. I love ministering on Sunday, but for me, that's not my first call. My first call is that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and I try and represent Jesus Christ from Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday to Friday to Saturday to Sunday, and I don't minister to people every single day so I can get them into my church. No, I pray for people every day because as a follower, that's what I'm meant to do. You know, today, this morning in the hotel lobby, having breakfast there, I prayed for two waitresses. Yesterday, I prayed for them. I'm not there to try and get them into my church. That's what we are all called to do. You see, the change that the world is looking for is the church, but the change that the church is looking for is you that you would all carry what you have. You see, I haven't just given God my sin, I've given God my life. I haven't just given Him my sin, I've given Him everything. I've given Him my life, I've given Him my wife, I've given Him my kids, I've given Him my ministry, I've given Him my finances, I've given Him everything. You know, Jesus didn't come to pay the ultimate sacrifice for us to be selfish, He paid the ultimate sacrifice for us to be selfless. You know, for us to lay down everything. It says in the Bible that those who find their life will lose it. And those that lose their life for my sake will find it. 
You know, it's like the biggest loser show. You see these people go on the show to lose weight, and the person that loses the most weight wins. And that's how I see it with following God. The more I give my stuff to God, the more of the problems and the weight of this world I give to God, the more I win. You see, I want to be the biggest loser that God uses. You see, I pray for people every single day because that's the gospel, guys. That's what it takes to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I see miracles every week of my life. Because I know what it's like to live in this world. And I know what it's like to be bound by this world. You see, I may look like I've got it all together here today, but I walked a journey that I pray that no one would go through to know God. And you don't need to go through what I went through to know Jesus. But let me tell you today that Jesus is the hope. He is the solution to your problems. God is the healer. God is the provider. God is the miracle maker. He is the restorer. He is the transformer. I tried everything to try and find my life, to try and find hope, to try and find me. I tried everything and it brought me to my knees. So I'm more on fire for God than I've ever been. You know, they say that when you meet Jesus in the first two years of your life, you're on the most fire for Him. I'm here to break that statistic, people. Every day I'm all out for Jesus. My heart is for you is to empower the church. A good friend of mine says his call is to bring Christians back to Christ. Who have you prayed for this week? Who have you blessed this week? Whose feet have you washed this week? We are all called to make a difference. We are all called to help our people, your neighbors, your work colleagues. What are people seeing? Why aren't they coming to Christ? It's not what they see on Sunday. It's what they see every day. But I didn't come here today to tell you about my church and about how good God is now and He has been amazing in my life. I'm here to tell you that God can do what He's done in my life into your life. But you don't need to go through what I went through. Here today, you don't have to change anything to be accepted by Him. He accepts you as you are. My journey started when I was nine years old when I found my father smashing my mum up. And my mum had had enough and she left my father and so she should have. No woman needs to go through what my mother went through. My mother raised myself and my four older siblings on her own. And trying to do that financially is very tough and my mum had to work two jobs. So my mother was not around that much, as you can imagine. So I didn't have many boundaries, and I didn't have many rules in my life. And I got caught up in drugs really early at an early age. Around 14, I got addicted to marijuana. By the age of 16, I got kicked out of school and failed school miserably and started taking harder drugs, popping acid, popping all sorts of stuff. By the age, by the age of 18, I got addicted to a drug called Speed. And by that time, I actually became a bartender in Auckland City and became quite a successful bartender as that. But in the hospitality scene, I got caught up in the dark world and I met a man who was a senior member of one of New Zealand's most notorious motorcycle clubs. And him and I became very close friends. And by that stage, a drug had just hit our country, a drug that you call ice, that we call pee in New Zealand. This drug had just come to New Zealand. And the gang that I was with were one of the first people ever to supply in New Zealand. And I got addicted to this drug at the age of 20. And I actually ended up getting addicted to this drug for the next seven years of my life. 
I got addicted every single day to methamphetamine, and I developed a $250 to $500 drug habit a day. My life started getting out of control really quickly, as you can imagine. And by this stage, I'd found a new brotherhood. I'd found a new family. And at this stage, I'd let go of all my old school friends and my friends that loved me for who I was. And I found a group of people that loved me for who I was. So I thought, and can I just say, if you're in that world right now and you've been lured by these people, let me tell you that it is a big facade. And I'm not going to stand here and lie, but I got sucked into this facade. And very quickly, I came out of bartending and became a very successful drug dealer. For some reason, I never, ever became a patch member of this gang. And for some reason, I never became a methamphetamine cook. My uncle told me, and I don't know why, I got given a lot of advice when I was a young man, and I never took any of it on. But for some reason, I remembered this thing and I took this advice on. Yes, I got offered my patch. Yes, I could have had the chance to learn how to cook methamphetamine. But for some reason, I never did it. But I knew if I got some of these meth cooks around me that I would be able to make this organization, this club, this world a lot of money. And I ended up making them a lot of money. I became a guy that they would call the movie man. You see, when you do a drug operation, we used to call it a movie. And I got really good at it. And everyone wanted to do business with me at one stage because I was doing it really well. Sometimes I was making up to $300,000 in one movie, and that would take only a week to do that. So in that world, my world became ruled by money and ruled by trying to be the man and, and trying to be the man in front of this club. But I started really quickly seeing what this facade was really all about and I can't go into too much detail because we haven't got much time around it, but I ended up just started detaching myself from that group of people because I began to saw that they were all out for each other, that money rules this world and money rules that world especially. And so in my last sort of year of using, I became a real monster. I was a pretty crazy man. And I didn't care about what the world thought of me or what I did to people. I've done some bad stuff to people, guys. I've emotionally scarred people for life. I've physically scarred people for life. I have ruined families, including my own family. I got my whole family addicted to methamphetamine. My older sister got addicted to meth, and within one year, she lost her marriage, she lost her business, and she lost her home because of methamphetamine. And I did some crazy stuff to people, and I would not care what I would do. I remember a story, broad daylight in Queen Street, Auckland. It's sort of like George's Street, and there was a guy that was talking a lot of bad stuff about me. And because I was in that world, you don't talk smack about people, and if you do, you're going to get dealt to in a bad way. And so... I went hunting for this man, and I could not find him. I used to pay people to try and find him. One day, my sister called me and said, I think I've seen that car, blue Subaru Legacy with a big orange sticker on the back window. She goes, I think I've seen that car. And I said, come and get me right now. 
in broad daylight, Queen Street, at a place called Frank Allen Tires. I remember jumping out, broad daylight, and seeing this guy standing there. And he saw me got out of the car, and he went absolutely white because he knew what he'd been saying and the lies he'd been saying, and he knew that I was a pretty scary fella. And I would do something bad to him. And I told him to come here. And in broad daylight, I used to carry weapons with me all the time. And I pulled out a six-inch blade and I held it to his throat. And if it wasn't for my sister in the car screaming, saying, don't you do it. Who knows what I would have done to that man. I took all his belongings off him. I took all the mags off his car and took all his belongings off him. That's how crazy I was, people. I did not care at that stage, and progressively my using got worse and worse and worse, and no one was wanting to do business with me because I was becoming such a mongrel, and I wasn't really the movie man anymore. But in all of that, I found a bit of hope. I found a lady named Jade, and you think my story's out of control. Wait till you hear Jade's, but when I met Jade, she was doing a $200,000 drug deal Jade was going out with one of New Zealand's biggest drug dealers at the time. They were doing about two kilos every month. So I met Jade and I thought, why are you doing drug deals? And I thought the guy was a bit of a scumbag for making your missus doing the drug deals. And so I got Jade out of that and we ended up doing bad stuff to this guy. And, and Jade and I fell in love. Well, she did. You're supposed to laugh right now, but you're like, yeah, whatever. Within three months, Jade and our, Jade fell pregnant. And uh, like, whew, I finally, like, out of all these years, wow, I found a piece of hope. I found something I could live for. And I swore black and blue to everybody that was in my world at that time that once my baby was here, that I would give up everything. I would stop everything. I would become a great dad. Can I just tell you how powerful the disease of addiction is? That on the very first time that I ever met my baby girl, I held her in my arms for the very first time right off my face. Because I couldn't even deal with reality people. I couldn't even go to the dairy without being stoned. And I held my baby for the very first time in my arms and I said to Jade, it would be the last time. I promise you and I promise you and I promised a lot to that lady. And I promised her for the next six months that I would just do one more movie and set us up, make us lots of money, and then I would give up. And no one would do business with me. I was losing all the money I had. I was dealing with Muppets, and they were wrecking all my drugs and using all my money and stealing from me. And By this time, I was starting to get really desperate. And I was a very sick man. I'm 89 kilos here today, and I know I'm not looking like Leon or Buffin like that, but at this stage, I was 63 kilos. My cheeks were so inverted that you could see the, the teeth line through my cheeks, that I could wrap my hand around my whole arm. I know, pretty big now, right? Jade got to the point where she had enough. I went out on a four-day bender one night, and I came home, and I walked straight in. That was pretty much my lifestyle. Four days, five nights out, come home and sleep for two days. I came home one day, went straight to bed. 
And Jade's sitting in the bed and just looks at me. And she looks over at our baby in the cot. You see, Jade, before she became a drug addict around the age of 18, Jade was actually a church girl. And Jade used to go to a youth group called Primal, which is actually our C3 youth movement in New Zealand. And Jade, from 15 to 17, went to Primal. Jade had faith in, in her. And when I collapsed on the bed, she looked over at our baby and she said, I don't want my baby to have a future like this. For some reason, Jade closed her eyes. And in that very moment, it's the only time that Jade's ever heard the audible voice of God. And Jade closed her eyes and said, Jesus, I'm sorry that I've lived my life like this. But I need to know from you what my future looks like, and I need to know if I'm meant to be with this man. And clearly, the audible voice of God said to Jade that she will marry. He said to her, you will marry a man from C3 Church. And Jade turned to me and looked at me and went, it's over for you, brother. Two days later, I woke up from being asleep and I went to the dairy to get some milk for my family and I came out of the dairy and as I did, a man pulled up in the car and it was a friend of mine. He said, what's up, G? What's up, bro? He said, bro, you want to come for a quick puff? A quick puff on the pipe, that's how you smoke meth. And I had the bottle of milk in my hand. I was like, and you know what I did being a greedy addict. I jumped in the car and thought I'd go for a quick puff. That puff lasted for five days. I went on another five-day bender. On that fifth day, I was in a hotel room with a friend of mine. He took me there, and as we got there, about 10 minutes into it, he came to me and pulled me aside and said, that girl sitting there on the couch, I said, yeah, I know her. He goes, yeah, he, she just ripped off her and an accomplice, another guy. They just ripped off a gang member, $30,000. And she, then he told me who the gang member was. And I know this guy, and he is a ruthless man. So I grabbed her and took her into the bathroom. I said, hey, you need to get that money back to this man. He will spend $100,000 looking for you because you've brought shame on his name. Oh, I don't care. He's never going to find me. I said, he will have half of Auckland looking for you. Trent, I don't care. By this stage, I'd been on a five-day bender, as I said, and I needed to go home. So I said, on my way home, she was getting texts from her accomplice friend, her partner, and... Uh, asking if uh, she would come to this hotel room because he had bought all this drugs with the money they had ripped off this guy. And so she asked me if I would drop him to the hotel room. I said, sure, that's fine. It's on my way home. So we drive to this hotel room. We park up at the car park. And she said to me, do you want to come inside for a quick puff before you go? And I thought, yeah, I'll just have one more puff before I go. So I jumped out of the car and we walk up to the hotel room. And I remember it so clearly. She's standing in front of me and she knocks on the hotel door. She walks into the hotel door and I just see this massive hand grab her head and pull her in. So I'm like walking by and freak out. Like, what is that? I come around here and I just get this big cold piece of steel stuck to my head. That cold piece of steel was a double barrel shotgun. And I turn around and there on the two single beds in this little hotel room is the gang member that they had ripped off and one of his accomplices and a guy holding the gun and her accomplice, her partner on the ground, black and blue. You see, it wasn't him texting her. It was the gang that was texting her because they had set him up and they were setting her up to come. And so because I walked in with her, they thought I was involved with ripping her off, them off. And so they ended up kidnapping us for the next two days. And did some horrible stuff to me, guys. I'm not going to try and stand here and say I'm a hard man, that I 
took it like a champ. I was a scared little boy. I was a scared little boy. And there was one moment where I thought maybe I could get out of this situation and I thought I could climb out the bathroom window. So I asked if I could go to the toilet, but they were pretty smart. And when I walked in, they kept the door half open so I wouldn't sneak out. And there I was, just all alone for just a moment. No one's ever preached the gospel to me, by the way. No one in my life has shared to me who God is. But I remember looking at the wall and closing in the medicine cabinet, and there's a little mirror on that medicine cabinet, and I closed it, and I looked at myself, and had 20 Humpty Bunties all over my face, black and blue. And I don't know if you're a parent here today, and I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you think you're going to die because nothing in the world was going to get me out of that scenario. But all, all I could think about in that moment was my baby girl. All I could think about was that my, my baby's not going to have a dad and I'll never see her ever again. I love Jesus. For some reason I looked in the mirror and I whispered so they would not hear me. But I looked in straight into that mirror. And I said, God, I don't know you. Please help me. Please help me. I promise you if you help me, I'll help you. I promise. Please get me out of here. I walked out of the bathroom and sat on the bed. By this stage, I'm starting to go in and out of blackout because I'd been up for seven days. Dehydrated, no food, no nothing. For some reason, another gang member walked in. A guy that I used to do business with. I can't remember what they said because I was in and out of blackout, but they started having an argument because he was saying to them, why is he doing here? What's he doing here? He shouldn't be here. 20 minutes later, out of calling out to God and that kidnapping, I was on my way home. I was driving home and this man... This man dropped me home, and then I'm thinking, sweet, I'm going home. What am I going home to? I'm going home to Jade. I'm going home to my baby. I remember getting out of the car and walking up to the front door. I was so physically exhausted, I could not talk or really move. And I was banging on the door saying, Jade, please open the door. Jade. She wouldn't hear me, so I got around the side of the house and found a window open on the side of the house, and there was a tap fitting on there, and I climbed up on the tap fitting, climbed up through the window with all the energy I had and fell on the floor, and army crawled to the house, and I turned on the light into our lounge, and the whole house was absolutely empty. You see, Jade had gone, because if you remember seven days earlier, Jade had prayed a prayer and said to God that I don't want to be living like this anymore, and so when I went to the dairy and didn't come home, Jade had packed up the house and left. Talk about a brother's rock bottom. Jade came home the next day to get the last of her boxes and found me in the fetal position in our bedroom. She said, what had happened to you? I said, I need help, babe. Please help me. I need help. I'm so thankful for Jade's parents. They took me in and I detoxed on her couch. And I made it into a drug rehabilitation program where I went there for the next six months. By this stage, Jade had started going to church. So when I got out of rehab, Jade said to me, we need to go to church. And I said, you go to church, babe. I don't need to go to church. She said, we need to go to church. I said, you're awesome in church. You go to church. One day, her cousin was speaking at a Salvation Army recovery church. And she said to me, we should go and listen to him. I said, you go listen to him, babe. 
She goes, it's at the Salvation Army Recovery Church. There's going to be people that you've done recovery with. So I was like, oh, I'll go catch up with some of the bros. I'll come. I didn't hear her cousin promote that at the end of the meeting. I don't remember him saying, but he started promoting that they were going to run an alpha course. Jay comes up to me at the end of the meeting and says, we should do that alpha course. I said, you do the alpha course, babe. You'll be awesome at it. She said, it's my birthday in three days. You've just got out of drug rehab. You don't have any money. I want that to be my birthday present. I said, I can't wait to go to the alpha course, babe. For the next six weeks in this Alpha course, I would have questions that I would say to God on the way there going, if you are real, then I want you to answer this. For some reason, every question that I had got answered at the end of the meeting, but I still wasn't really engaging because I still didn't really believe. Then on the last night, her cousin gets up and starts talking about the Holy Spirit. For some reason, while he's talking, his voice just stops and everything in the room just absolutely stops. I cannot hear anything. I'm freaking out out a little bit. I'm looking around and the salvation captains are asleep. They're not really engaged. Some of the drug addicts are still recovering and freaking out, but I can hear nothing. And then all of a sudden I get this feeling come over me and I just hear this whisper, remember what you said to me. You said to me, if I would help you, you would help me. And then I realized that that God that they would be talking about the last six weeks was the God that set me free in that kidnapping and that his name was Jesus Christ. And then all of a sudden I started hearing everything again. And then I'm starting to feel a little bit excited and a little bit overwhelmed right now. Half the captains are still asleep and everyone's not really engaged. But my cousin, my Jade's cousin stands up and goes, does anyone want to say anything out of this course? I just stood up out of my seat. I'd looked like I'd just have a line of coke or something. And I said, my name is Trent Memory. Seven months ago, I got kidnapped by gang members. And I called out to a God I did not know, and I asked him, if he would help me, I would help him. And I realized that God is Jesus Christ. What do I do next? <laughs> By the stage, all the captains wake up. Some of the drug addicts are like, Ew! And there's Jade's cousin crying, weeping. So what I found out later is that he was the one that had been praying for us for about a year before we came to Christ. And I went to C3 Church two weeks later. Pastor Dean Rush preached the message and said, does anyone want to receive Jesus Christ into their heart? And I ran to the altar. And I run to the altar every week. And I ran to the altar and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. You know what the most powerful thing is, guys? Is that last Saturday was 10 years ago that I got kidnapped. Last Saturday. And do you know what else I celebrated last Saturday? I celebrated 10 years clean and sober. Because from that day when I called out to God, I've never used drugs. I've never used alcohol. I've never done anything else but follow God and seen God move in my life. And you only need to whisper to Him today. And I've seen miracles upon miracles upon miracles. And I love what I do. I've seen 70 friends and family come to Christ. All my siblings all follow Jesus. I've led my father, my, my mother, my grandparents, my cousins, so many people. Pastor Nelly, if I could just go for just two more minutes and just share a story that I love so much. It was about two years into being pastoring, Jade's best friend rang her. Her name was Mia and said, Jade, I need help. Can you help me? And I said, yes, come to church. 
Jay turns to me and she goes, he wants, she wants to bring Dan as well. And I said, who's Dan? She said, you know who Dan is. I was like, oh, Dan. Dan's the guy, if you remember the story of pulling the knife out on the guy's throat in broad daylight. Jade's best friend started dating Dan. So when she said Dan wants to come as well, I was like, there are pr plenty of other churches in, in, in Auckland. Some great churches. They should go there. My wife said to me, is that what Jesus would do, Trent? Pastor Natalie, I don't even know if you've ever preached a message in church knowing that someone in the chairs is someone that you've killed, tried to kill. But that was a hard day for me, knowing that a guy that I nearly killed and I preached the message. And at the end of the meeting, I gave an invitation for people to accept Jesus Christ. The only person that lifted their hand was the guy that I nearly killed. And he came up on the altar and I hugged him. And I asked for forgiveness. And he said, I forgive you, will you forgive me? I said, yes, I will. I'm now the godfather of his children. Two years ago, I married them in front of their friends and family. Hopefully they got a photo there of them as well. I mean, are you willing to have your worst enemy, the person that you hated the most, come into church? He's alive. Your hope is Jesus. And I just want to give you this opportunity right now. If you could just close your eyes and bow your head. And if you don't know God here this morning, you don't need any more convincing right now. You don't need any more convincing right now. Jesus is the Lord and Savior. He is the hope of the world. I can tell you story after story after story. Three weeks ago, I prayed for a man with Parkinson's disease. And he got healed right then and then. I can stand here and tell you story after story about how God is alive and well. But the number one thing he wants is to have a relationship with you. You don't need to change anything right now to be accepted by him. You don't need to go through everything that I went through to know him here. And the God that I know, he's not into coincidences. He brought you here for this very moment. And I want you to respond here today. If you don't know Jesus, please know him today. And I want to put a call out to people here. You know, it says in John 8, 12, I, uh, I am the light of this world and whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. It does not say whoever knows me will never walk in darkness. Are you a true follower of Jesus? Are you seeking him every single day? Are you on fire for him every single day? Is he number one in your life? You may have given your heart to him a while ago, but you're not all out for him. You're not one with Jesus right now. And I want you to be bold here today. You may be a leader here. You may be someone that's been coming for a while here. But please here today, make sure you're right with him and begin to walk your faith out every single day with him. So right across this place, if you've never met him, please, I want you to lift your hand in just a moment so I can see it. Or if you're not on fire for God and he's not number one, I want you to lift your hand right now and say, Trent, that's me right across this place. Who are you? Slip it up and say, Trent, that's me. Say, I need to know him. I need to get my life. Who are you here? I know there's people here. Just slip it up and say, Trent, that's me. I see that hand at the back there. Who else is there? Awesome. I see that hand, sir. Who else? Join these people. Slip it up and say, Trent, that's me. Just say, yes, that's me here. 
Yes, I see that hand. Awesome. Yes, I see that hand. Who else is there? Say, Trent, that's me. Who else? Jesus, who else is there? Yes. Awesome. Who else is there? Say, Trent, that's me here today. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Who else is there? Who else is there? Thank you, sir. Who else is there? Say, Trent, that's me. It needs to turn around. Something needs to turn. I need to get my life right with him. Who else is there? Yes. Awesome, sir. Who else? Say, Trent, that's me. Right across this place. Let me see your hand. Ten more seconds. Thank you, sir. Who else is there? Who else? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You guys can open your eyes. Can we all just stand to your feet right now? And I'm just going to hand it back to Pastor Natalie in just a second, and I'm sorry I've gone a few minutes over time. But can I just do something really bold? I want to pray for those people. I can't come out to you individually because it's going to take a lot of time and people are hungry and they want to go and eat. So if you can help me by actually coming and standing here for just a moment, and I'm going to pray for you. And Pastor Natalie's going to lead you in a prayer. For those people that lifted your hand, would you just come here right now? Just come, just come, just come, just come, just come, come. Hallelujah. Come on, let's partner with heaven. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you know you need to be here, just come right now. Just keep clapping for just a minute. If you know you need to be here and say, God, I'm sorry, you're not number one, but I want to make you number one. Who are you? Just come. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.